0: So if you have your Bibles with you, um, please open them to Romans chapter 15, and uh, also a very big month this month, not just because it's graduation Sunday, um, and then it's the first month, the first week of June, uh, but most importantly, um, we are in the final month of the series going through the book of Romans. We started in September of last year, and this month is the last four messages that we are doing, going through the last few chapters of Romans. We're going to take four weeks and go through Romans 15 and Romans 16. So today we're going to look at Romans 15, 1 through 7, and I'm not going to rehash all the stuff from the past. I'm just going to remind you, if you're looking for how the book is broken out, be reminded of the fact that up until chapter 12, for the first 11 chapters chapters of Romans the apostle Paul takes a lot of concerted effort to teach us what we need to understand about who God is who we are without him and who we are because of him he builds us up he encourages the christian ch- excuse me the christian church followers of Christ to remind them who they are without God the wrath of God uh, what sin has done to us he talks about a lot about grace and who we are because of God's grace He talks about what salvation really is and what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit. And he builds all of those things up discussing the sovereignty of God and how we're supposed to be kind towards others uh, and what that looks like as a result of who God is. And then when he turns the corner in chapter 12, from 12 to 16, he gives us a roadmap on how we're supposed to live. So often, and I'll speak honestly from a church perspective Um, As a Christian, as a pastor, how many of you maybe would agree with this? You don't have to raise your hand, but it's really easy sometimes to tell someone what they need to do as opposed to showing them why they need to do it. It's really good sometimes and simple to tell, not good, simple to tell someone here's what they need to do without giving them the reason behind it. That's why Paul front-loaded the first 11 chapters of Romans by teaching us the why behind the what. So when we got to chapter 12, we've been reading through chapter 12, 13, etc., to look at how we are supposed to live, and he gives us a roadmap as followers of Christ. So today we're looking at the first seven verses in Romans 15, and I'm going to read them out loud, and then I'm going to show you a couple brief things about them this morning, um, and then we're going to have communion together. Romans 15, 1, beginning reading, Paul says, we, and he's speaking to Christians, followers of Jesus that have made a decision and put their faith in Christ, whether they're Romans, Uh, or I'm sorry, whether they're Gentile Christians or Jewish Christians, he tells them beginning in verse one, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Let me stop just for a second and say, he's talking to Christians about other Christians. He's talking about Christ followers and how Christ followers should act in relationship to other Christ followers. It's not a generic neighbors comment. He's specifically talking to believers and the people within the church and how we're supposed to relate to those within the church. So in verse one, he says again, we who are strong, we believers who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. One translation says, build up their faith. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Verse three, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. Verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. I pray that our hearts would be open to not just hear, but to apply. In your name we ask, amen. So one of the marks of a growing Christian, one of the marks of a growing mature Christian, according to what Paul says here, is becoming less selfish and becoming more selfless. So becoming less selfish and becoming more selfless. This is a really, really important point. If we're growing to grow in our relationship with Christ, Paul is saying one of the ways that you become a deeper, more mature follower of Christ is to become more self-less and less selfish. Now, in a world of selfishness, that can be a pretty tall order. Our world is good at prioritizing us and the needs that we have over the needs of other people. And that's a pretty common thing. It doesn't take long for us to understand in the world around us that That's a pretty common practice. What are my needs? What are my rights? What are my hopes? What are my dreams? Me, 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 me. We even live in the technological world today where our phones aren't just cell phones, they're iPhones, right? We don't just have watches, we have iWatches. I'm not holding a, a pad of paper, I'm holding a what? iPad. Like there's a lot of i in our culture today telling us, what matters most is us over others, even in the world of pictures. Now, I'm gonna date myself a little bit and say when I was a kid growing up, we took pictures with cameras that actually had film in them. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? See, look at y'all That you yeah, I had film, okay? And when we took those pictures, we didn't even know what the result of it was for a few weeks. We had to take them, and we had to be very careful what we took because if we didn't like them, after 12 exposures, it was done. I had a little 110 camera. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Look, There's a whole generation of you just staring at me going, what does a 110, electricity? No, no, it's a camera, and there was a 110 camera. I had 12 exposures that I would take. Sometimes I'd get lucky and get 24 exposures for the little film roll that I had. But I had to be really careful about the kind of pictures that I took. I can tell you one thing I didn't do very well, and that was taking a picture of myself. Every once in a while, I'd turn that camera around and try to shoot a picture of myself. Two weeks later, I found out it never came out very well. We live in a world today where it's super easy to take pictures of yourself, right? In fact, there's a term for this. What are they called? You all know this. That's right. It's called selfies. What kind of a world do we live in? We live in a selfie generation. In 2019, listen to this. Google, okay, because we know all truth comes from Google. Google reported 93 million selfies are taken every day on Android devices only. 93 million selfies are taken every day. Now, how they know that is a completely different conversation for another time because that's a little scary. But listen, that means one in three pics on every Android device. And this is for kids 18 to 24 years old. 93 million selfies. Now, I have a theory that was taken in 2019. I have a feeling that COVID really increased that number over the last year where people were taking pictures. And you might know, all you need to do is go on people's social media and you can tell, are they taking pictures of things around them or are they taking pictures of themselves? And I've learned, and please don't mock me on that, but this is what I see. There is a stance, there is a pose, there is a lip. You know what I'm talking about? The, I'm talking about, right? You know, and you can tell. I sometimes I go to certain people's pages and it's them, 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 them. them. I'm like, wow, you love you. And there's nothing wrong with taking pictures of yourself, but we live in a culture where self has become the focus of what we're doing. It's becoming more and more common that way. I saw no greater example of that than last year, being in line at a supermarket, knowing that there were 20 cases of toilet paper in that store and 100 people lining up for it. This is crazy. Or how about just a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago when that whole hack took place for the, um, the, re, uh, the, the fuel processing plant down in the, uh, in the Gulf Coast, when there was a gas shortage or a perceived gas shortage in south or eastern United States, people were lining up at the pumps for gasoline and they were hoarding it. There are pictures and videos of people bringing plastic bags to the gas station, filling up gas. The governor of the states had to go on record to say, please don't put gasoline in sandwich bags. That's not a good idea. I mean, like, this is true. I'm not making this up. And I've said this many times. My wife and I have talked about this. We are only a few few days away as a country from some type of situation that could happen that would wreak all kinds of chaos because people would begin thinking about themselves and not about other people. You hear what I'm saying? It's very clear that we're just an underlying me concept that we need to be aware of. And I'm sharing this with you today because today's message is called Selfless Living in a Selfish World. How do we practice selfless living in a selfish world? And and what does selfless living look like for a Christian? And Paul addresses that in verses one through seven. And I'm gonna share with you what I believe that means, and we're just gonna talk about it for just a few moments this morning. Selfless living, according to God's word, in this passage, Paul writes, is basically this. If you wanna practice selfless living, it's evidenced by Christians who patiently and joyfully help other Christians grow spiritually, just like Jesus did for us. So if we're looking at real selfless living, we're not just talking about giving things to people or putting others ahead of you or letting them take the roll of toilet paper before you. There's nothing wrong with those things. We're saying at the foundation and the motivational core of what this means, it means that we are patiently and joyfully helping other Christians grow spiritually just like Jesus did for us. And he shows us a few things in this passage that I just wanna very briefly mention to you this morning in this summer heat. Number one, Christians are obligated to help other Christians grow spiritually. He says in verse one and two, we who are strong, and then he says, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Another translation says, ought to bear with the failings of those who have weak faith, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Remember, he's talking about Christians and our relationship with Christians. And the phrase ought to bear Literally means that we are obligated, ought is obligated to carry the burdens of others and to do it lovingly. That's by sharing with them. When we did the grad they move up this morning, and Pastor Christine talked about discipling, that's an example of what we're talking about this morning. That we're supposed to share, we're supposed to disciple, that this is not an option for the Christian church. God doesn't save us so that we can live our lives independent of pouring into other people. He saves us so that we can also be a light to those around us. It's not optional. We've laughed about this many times over the last few weeks, and I was just talking to someone recently about this too, that there's a mindset that the Christian church has adapted sometimes, and, and we've talked about this amongst some of the men that I've been hanging out with, and it's that we can attend church services or we can grow in our faith and if there's someone that we know that doesn't know Christ or maybe someone new in their faith as long as we can bring them to church and introduce them to a staff person or a pastor or if we can get them to talk about God then our work is done and we can move on and they'll take it from there. It's like they're just pulling people in and then it's our responsibility to make sure that those people grow and can I tell you it is the work of the leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians four. That means we have a responsibility to train and to raise up people as God has called you to live. But that means that when people around you become followers of Christ, it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to let my life become a living sacrifice to help them grow spiritually. I mean, we understand this practically if you think about it, right? Think about this. Many of us are parents. Many of us here are parents, and all of us here were children at one point, right? I would believe that. Some of us are still children. We're just in our you know, second half of our life or whatever. Um, but all of us have been children. And when you hear stories of people that have children, and there are stories in this world where people have children, and then they're abandoned, I've never heard anyone hear that story like that and say, well, you know, that's totally understandable. I mean, they just they couldn't do anything about it, so it's okay just to leave the baby there in the corner and the baby will figure out life. No, it infuriates people, it enrages people. We see the injustice, why? Because a newborn is brought into this world, and when the newborn is brought into this world, there is a responsibility to raise that child. And can I tell you, this is what Paul is talking about spiritually. When we come to Christ, we are reborn spiritually, And there is now a responsibility for the church family, those who are in relationship to them, to help mature them spiritually. You can't take in the experiences that you've had and then go live your life and pray that somebody else helps the person behind you. Paul is saying, if you want to live a selfless life, you and I are obligated to help other Christians grow spiritually. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, some of you know this. It's the great commission where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. People misunderstand that sometimes, and they say the command is go into the world. No, the actual writing is as you go, meaning wherever it is you land in this world, the command and the imperative is make disciples. Wherever Paul goes in this world, I have an imperative, a command, an obligation to lay my life down selflessly so that others who are learning to follow Jesus can help to follow Jesus. That's what he talks about. That's why this is so important. It's the commission. It's this move-up day. And every age that we are in requires different skills, different levels of patience, different creativity. You saw it this morning when Pastor Christine. Did you notice this? When Pastor Christine and Pastor Matt called up the different graduates... When the young kids came up, what did they do? They ran up, right? You saw it, right? I mean, one kid, I saw the one kid, he was like, came up like it was really like a strong deal, right? You know what I'm talking about? But what did the older kids do? Or the adults? They just kind of like strolled up and they kind of walked they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. That's cool. Except for Devin. Devin, I think, ran. He was cheering. I think that was actually cool. Good for you. But you're a teacher. You work with kids. So you understand that. But think about the difference here, just for a moment. Every person at, their la- at different stages in their lives require different things. The little kids come running up, they require diff- different types of energy. The older ones come, they require a different type of response. It requires patience. And it's a patience that is birthed through maturity and selflessness. So Christians are obligated to help other Christians grow spiritually. The second thing is that scripture is our example of what to do. He says in verse four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. The scriptures are our instruction on how to make this happen. Yes, we can get counsel from others that have walked the journey around us. That's part of what the community of faith does. But our counsel should be rooted in God's word, not just in our opinions. It's like the GPSs, the GPS that um, many of us are familiar with. If you're a GPS person, you go places. There are two ways to look at your GPS device when you travel. One, you can look at the map to see where you're going, or you can click on the details, and the details show you every turn, every mile stop. You know what I'm talking about? The scripture is that detailed instruction that Paul is talking about. We need a roadmap, and that roadmap is what God's word teaches us. So how can we help others live for Christ if we don't know the word of God? We need to know God's word, and scripture is the example of how we are supposed to live and teach. And it's the detailed map, step-by-step instructions. Paul says in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God or the person of God will be equipped for every good work. That's what he says. The word of God is our foundation. Let's use the word of God to be selfless and to raise others up. The last thing I wanna mention to you this morning is not just our obligation to help other Christians and that scripture is our example of what to do, but he also says in verse three that Jesus Christ is our example of how it's supposed to look. Where scripture is our example of what to do, Jesus is our example of how it looks. He says in verse three, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Think about this with me just for a moment. Jesus bore the weight. He bore the burden of those he came to save. He patiently, patiently, consistently endured the burdens of those around him who were spiritually weak in order for them to mature. There are examples in the Gospels where he looked at the people around him and he said, how long should I put up with you? I mean, isn't that pretty honest? He looked at those around and said, how long am I supposed to put up with you? Or he looked at his own disciples after teaching them over and over again and he said, do you still not understand? Or before his actual arrest, which led to conviction and crucifixion, he told his closest disciples, he told Peter, You're going to disown me three times. You're going to abandon me three separate times before tomorrow morning. But Jesus was patient. He wasn't condemning. He loved, and he loves you, and he loves us. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says that God made Jesus sin for us. So that by being sin for us, we might become the righteousness of God. And I want you to just reflect on that for just a moment because that is the ultimate selflessness this morning. That God became sin for you and he became sin for me, laying down his own life so that we could be in relationship with Christ and with God forever. What does real selfless living look like in this world? It looks like laying down our lives for Christ by helping others learn to follow Jesus. He lived his life so that we could live our lives. He died for us so that we could live. Jesus gives us hope, and because he gives us hope, we can give hope to others. He gave us his life so that we could lay our lives down for others. This is the beauty of the gospel, and this is what maturity looks like, to be selfless, And this is the story of communion. So we're gonna take a few moments and the worship team's going to lead us in a a song for a few moments and Pastor Rob's going to come up and lead us through communion. Would you just take a few moments and just quiet your hearts and just reflect on the goodness of God and the sacrifice he gave us so that we could be in relationship with him for eternity. Father, I just thank you for your love and I thank you, Lord, for your selfless giving. God, may we remember the truth that comes from your word. And may we walk according to your will, not according to our preferences. We remember you during this communion time, not just so that our brains can be filled with the facts of what you did on the cross, but so that our lives could be transformed and that we can look like you. We can love like you. We can serve others like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.